0: This is Rockstar101. His name is Brandon. He is still the DJ.
1: His name is Shim. He is the Rockstar. Class is in session. And as we were wrapping up the last episode, we were kind of talking about growing up, different groups, and being into sports, being into nerdy kind of stuff, or, you know, just kind of what you were into. And I'd made the comment that you're not really a sports
0: guy i am not a sports guy but that leads it it's interesting you know in terms of the rockstar 101 the music side of the podcast the reason that i de- dove so far into music and i think the reason that a lot of people get well i don't know it must have been different for you but for me i met a lot of people who started to really i mean the closest word that i can think of is worship they would worship music they would just get into music so much they would They'd listen to it on repeat. They would learn about the artist. They would read the lyrics and find out what it meant. And then they would adopt it into their life. They would really... Are the people who didn't have... The people who got into it so much that they were compelled to create music, right? Mm -hmm. Those people... No, they were not... They didn't... they, They weren't being distracted by sports. If they had been you know, if they were interested legitimately in sports or in something else that was productive, they probably would have done music as a hobby. And everyone knows when you're in high school, there's a bunch of guys and girls that are like, yeah, she plays bass, yeah, he plays guitar, this guy plays the piano, they do a high school concert, and they all get up there and they play a song or they do a thing, and then school finishes and they get on with their life and they turn into a lawyer or a 7-Eleven guy or whatever, you know, like they're not professional musicians. But the people who, who get into it really hardcore, usually no, they're not, they're not really, in, most of the time, they're not really into sports. And usually the ones who, the better you are, the more, the more visionary you are, like the great ones, for example, Tool, who we're also going to talk about. We're going to do a, a wrap up or a, a, a second part to the new Tool album or at least I am because I've heard it more since the last time we spoke about it. Those guys, I'm sure they were not distracted by considering a professional football career and they were really into it. They might've played a little bit for fun, but usually, you know, you're, you're worshiping. You're like, you are, I I used to fall asleep with my guitar. I'd literally be in bed just sort of practicing, going like literally practicing going from a D chord to a C chord and a D chord to a C chord, just bump, 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 bump. and I'd just sit there and sort of do it and, and work on that fingering. And then I'd, the next thing I know, it'd be in the morning and the guitar would be next to me on the bed. I think my dad's got pictures of it. <laughs> so that, that type of thing. Also, I was not very, really good at sports. I get overly competitive, mm-hmm. and then I would be the—I'd be the kid on the team that would be like, no one would pass me the ball because I wasn't that good, and I could never score a goal because a I wasn't that good, and also no one would pass me the ball. So there'd be like one in a one-hour game at around the fifty-minute mark, you just see this Tasmanian devil-looking kid flying across the field, attacking whoever had the ball, like ah, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking get the ball this way, and just sick and tired of being in the corner. And not getting past the ball. I remember a couple of times vividly just being taken off the field like, okay, yeah, that's a a foul. That's called a foul. You're not allowed to kick the person (laughs) in the chest. And uh, so, yeah, sports were not my thing. But that's the other thing. One of the, the things that I realized when I started to make music that was really resonating with people, when they would come back to me at shows and they'd say, man- I didn't realize anyone else felt this way until I heard that song or I was going through this really difficult thing but this song really helped me get through it. There are a lot of times where people will be going through a difficult time and they'll go to church or they'll go to therapy or they'll go to they'll go to their you know their their weekend soccer team or their basketball team or whatever like they'll have they I'll have a place to go. Where they can decompress, they can have a talk, they can process things, and then there's a whole group of people in this world that don't have it, and music is that for them, mm-hmm. and they use music, and and they music is their religion. They really, they and they find and that the thing that is the one thing that I do think is. You know, every every artist has their pros and cons about how the internet impacted the, the music industry and the business side of it. But one of the great things that I think is fantastic is that for me, when I was a kid and I was into a lot of different types of music because I was a musician. I didn't realize that I was a songwriter at first, but for the first two or three years when I was listening to music, and I was going between The Beatles and The Offspring and Slipknot and Seven Dust and Silverchair and Nirvana and then like, uh, you know, Ben Harper and and uh, Jack Johnson and, and very eclectic things of music. And at the time, when you're in high school and your world exists with these other 300 kids in this high school and the one block radius around it, because that's where you lived, you, you needed to choose you needed to decide well am i a rock kid am i a f- sort of folk kid am i a sports kid am i whatever but with the internet you can go and you can find your your blogs and your your boards and your places where people congregate to discuss and listen to and share music and the thoughts that are portrayed in the music and the commonalities and it's no longer a div- a source of division it's a source of unity mm-hmm. which is what music is all about and that's one of the that's one of the things that i really I, there's a part of me as a, as a as a on the business side of music that wishes that I had gotten into making records a few years earlier than I did, so I could have caught the last wave of people buying records and catching some of that money. Because once once by the time I was making records, there was no record sales anymore. People were downloading it for free, and streaming had yet to come in and figure out how to monetize the streaming services. So it was this real dark age they actually called it the dark age in the record business because everyone knew that something was going to come but no one had figured it out yet and but but in terms of being a music consumer i wish i wish i wish i had had that available to me as a kid because i didn't have and this isn't a pity me party this is just a fact i didn't have a lot of i didn't really have any friends growing up because i didn't fit into a group whereas if the internet had been there i would have found People like me, I'm, I was weird. I was into all sorts of different stuff. I was very outspoken. I was overly confident. There was no reason for me to be as confident as I was at 13, 14, but I thought I was going to take over the world and I was going to go to America and sell a million records. And the only reason that I did was because I had that air of confidence. But when you're 14, that shit just gets you beat up. Mm-hmm. So, so having the internet back then would have been great for me you know and for any for any kid that's the thing that i love about that that the way that music for for people who use music in that way it's just a godsend it's just it literally saves people's lives man for me growing up
1: music was very very heavy in my life it was something that was always around it was all different kinds but the big one that sticks out to me and this is something we've obviously talked about before when we were talking about bohemian rhapsody is it was queen Like, when I was a kid, the big thing was Queen. And then you kind of go through the years of the pop stuff or, you know, whatever else. And I wasn't really into music at that time. And then I didn't get back into it until I was maybe 11 or 12 when the grunge movement was big. And then all of a sudden, um, like, that, the 90s really kind of happened. That was when I got back into the music aspect. But for me, I never had the patience to learn the guitar. I've got a guitar sitting at home and I kind of know some things, but obviously right now I just, I I flat out don't have the time to do it. Uh, But growing up, that wasn't anything really I think that I had the patience for. I was a very energetic kid that couldn't sit down for very long. So I played sports, but I was really big into music. I loved uh, Queen growing up. And I think I fucking lost you again. Are you there? Yo, I'm here, man. What's going on? I don't think it likes the topic. So, basically, we'll end it with me saying, I loved Queen when I was growing up. Uh, right.
0: What do we want to move on to? Let's move on to you were asking about WWE, and then we're going to talk about Tool, then we're going to wrap it up in 20 minutes. So, what? Yeah,
1: because... I just I really randomly I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast when he had Bill Burr on and they were talking about um just all these gnarly videos there's one of when stone cold Steve Austin um Owen Hart screws up and actually breaks Steve Austin's neck and all these just nasty videos of these guys crashing and falling and it kind of got me thinking like how big is WWE down in Australia? Because it's massive here. It's huge. It's nothing that I watch on a regular basis now. But man, I will get sucked into a documentary about wrestlers or right. on YouTube watching is highlights it? of something. But it's it's nothing I'll ever watch on TV. But man, like I, it's still something that's going to uh, suck me in. And I'm curious, is it big down there? And is it something that you ever got into?
0: No, it's not anything that I ever got into. We were... Um uh, the, the Puppies had two of our songs used in WWE, Monday Monday Night Raw and Extreme Rules. I think War was used and, uh, and You're Going Down was used. And uh, War was originally written for the Street Fighter ad campaign. You're Going Down was written for the pitch for the Street Fighter ad campaign, which is why they have a couple of the same lyrics in it. You're Going Down and Let's Do This or whatever it is. And... Um, So, because You're Going Down wasn't used on the Street Fighter ad campaign, it was pitched to WWE, and then they picked it up, and then uh, it it got a lot of um, exposure through that, and we were invited to the WWE thing, and we met um, Big Show, and we met a couple of other ones, but I remember meeting Big Show, and I'm pretty tall, like, I'm taller than most people, and Big Show, I I very rarely have to physically look up at someone. Oh, he's a giant. this, this motherfucker was like a... Freak in nature, and he was so nice. His hand is twice the size of anyone else's hand, and he, he his hand shakes- is the
1: size of my
0: head. Like yeah. I've
1: I've gotten to meet him before too, and when <clears throat> I shook his hand, it's the size of my damn head.
0: Yeah. And it's, and he does it and he shakes your hand so gently because I think he knows that you, there's no other way for him to shake your hand. He has to just sort of put it out and then let your hand rest in his, or he'll break you. Mm -hmm. He'll break your hand. (laughs) So, so we met them and it was really interesting to see. I hadn't thought about it before, but the magnitude of the, like, if you're like the biggest band that I ever went on tour with would have been Nickelback. 20,000 people a night. Bunches of buses, bunches of, of, um, you know, semi-trailers, huge production, pyro, the whole thing. They, WWE owns Nickelback. They own everyone. The amount of production, the amount of things that they bring with them, the size of the stadiums that they play. They put things in the middle of it so they can sell out every seat around it. Mm -hmm. They're selling out 30,000 seats a night. In the biggest arenas that you can find. And they have a traveling gym and they set up two of the massive, the biggest dresses. Like it's basically uh, where the these baseball or football players locker rooms would be. They just bring in an entire, they have an entire semi-trailer just for gym equipment. They set it up every day and everyone goes and does their workouts. And they are all working out two hours a day like crazy, like they're obviously all ripped and fit as crazy. But that was the thing that I found interesting in terms of is it big down here? This is the funny thing. Have you ever met a person who does that thing where like they dress up like Vikings and they go to a park and role play once a month and they do like Lord of the Rings reenactments? Have you ever met one of those people?
1: Oh, absolutely. The people that I'll play D&D with, they do it on a regular basis. Okay,
0: I've never met one of those people, but what they usually those from what I've heard those people usually live very normal lives and they only associate their interest in g- getting dressed up and doing reenactments with other people who do the same thing and it's like it, you'd never know that they had like you know this this other side of their personality with wWE it's the same type of thing here. I got a set of friends I got one 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 set of friends. Who are into WWE? They know all the wrestlers, they know all the names. They don't really talk about it. They don't really. They just do it themselves. It's a couple, a guy and a girl, and they go to the shows and they follow the players. And they've got like a little corner in one of the rooms where they've got a couple of the, the cutouts and stuff. And they spend one day on the weekends catching up on WWE, and they're subscribed to the channel. And for their um their baby moon that they did before they decided to get pregnant their post honeymoon they went to where i like texas or wherever it was where there was like a 60,000 uh the the biggest one of the year like the super bowl for WWE and they went and they that was their baby moon wrestlemania whatever it's called yeah they went and watched that they flew to the other side of the world to watch that that was their thing they are deep into it but it's kind of a it's not a thing that gets they don't wear the t-shirts out right and they don't talk about it to friends and stuff they're not flaunting it they're not they're not waving the the flag but they're so into it dude they're so into it and that's kind of the vibe that happens in australia because i don't think that in america wrestling especially wwe it's an institution in australia it's more of a guilty pleasure it's like if you do it mm-hmm. you, you don't really they don't really broadcast it, but they fucking get into it, man. They're they they they're deep into it. So that's kind of the vibe in Australia. That's what most people like. And then on the occasions when WWE does come to Australia and comes to like the Sydney Auditorium, that's 50,000 people or whatever, then it's sold out. And it's like a weird little Lord of the Rings congregation where suddenly they all get their T-shirts out of the closet and they throw them on. <laughs> and, and they all and, go and, congregate together. And there's, together. there's, there's this 50,000 mass flood of WWE people with the, the face paint on and the, the sun. And all that sort of stuff, and they all and for one day a year they all come out. Whenever WWE does their international tour and comes to comes to Australia and comes to Sydney, boom! You see them. They're like a supernova, and then they disappear for the rest of the year.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things that here in the states, obviously, it is different. I've worked with people who are all about it. There was a guy that I worked with down in Florida who just was obsessed with it, but that would fortunately be good for us because he had connections. So when we would do promotions and stuff with the radio station, we got phenomenal seats. And if you've never been to a live WWE event or AEW event or TNA event, whatever, the, one of the major wrestling circuits, if you've never been to one live, I cannot recommend it enough because it's just so damn entertaining. Uh, there was one time that I went, we had second row seats for, I think it was Monday Night Raw, or it might have even been a pay-per-view. And as I'm sitting down in my in my seat, they're getting ready to start the show, and all of a sudden, in walks Shaquille O'Neal and his entire family. <laughs> and he proceeds to sit directly in front of me. Oh, dude. All seven foot one of them. And I'm like, I can't see. What the hell? But fortunately, they what they ended up doing is they wanted to incorporate him in a storyline. I think it was with the big show later on because they're both just giants. So they moved him to another area. But this whole time, for this five minutes, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to see anything because I got Shaquille Flippin' O'Neal sitting in front of me. And then there was another tour that came to town. This was... I think it was Survivor Series. And this was the same time where I got to meet the big show. He had come into the radio station that Friday, um, which was it was a really eerie weekend anyway, because that was the weekend that that rock station that I worked for flipped. So everybody got fired, but that's for another podcast. I'll talk about that later. But I got to meet him that day, and then that Sunday night, um, I had uh, gotten some tickets from the guy that I worked with uh, that were front row. Right on the ramp, you know, where the wrestlers come running down from the uh, backstage to the ramp—the where that's the ramp. Yeah. So I'm in the corner, the very f- front corner, all the way to the left and in the very front right where they come down. And there was like a six on six tag team match. And as every guy is coming out, they stick to the left side of the ramp. I'm sitting on the right because the cameras are on the left, are pointing to the left side, and they want to do this on the camera. So they're high fiving everybody over there. All of a sudden, when the big show goes to come out, I'm like, hey, hey! And I'm like sticking my hand out, like just to, like trying to get his attention. All of a sudden, he sees me, recognizes me, and completely makes a beeline over to me to give me a high five as he's going into the rink. That dude hit my hand so goddamn hard, I thought he broke every bone in it because he was like he was obviously amped up. He's getting ready to go oh, in the yeah. ring and he comes over and I go to give my high five and it's just this like earth shattering boom when they hit. And I looked at my buddy, I'm like, I think he broke my hand. <laughs>
0: Well, you asked for it. That's funny. You asked for it. That's so funny. I think it's funnier. if you Would you have preferred that Shaquille O'Neal didn't sit in front of you, or is it nice to have that story? Well, it's nice to have that story because he wasn't there for very long.
1: Yeah. Um, I think even then, if it still would have been kind of cool if he was sitting there for the whole show because... Then I could at least kind of poke fun at him to be like, "Excuse me, sir, could you um, yeah. Yeah. could you lean could you, forward you a little bit down? and sit down? Yeah. I can't see." Yeah, um, I'm but sure it, he would it, have taken it, it gives real me well. it gives me a really yeah, it gives me a really fun story to tell about like I literally had all seven foot one Shaquille O'Neal sitting right in front of me. I couldn't see a damn thing.
0: So <clears throat> I want to move to one more thing before we go to wrap up. Yeah, um, we spoke about how much more have you listened to the new Tool record?
1: Um, I've. I've listened to it a lot, but not front to back the way that I would like to. I've had to jump around a bit because, I, you know, it's the songs are 10 to 15 minutes long. And I, unfortunately, when I'm able to listen to it, I don't have that amount of time.
0: Well, here's the thing that I, I came to realize once I listened to it a few times front to back. And then I picked out a few of the tracks. I don't know if you'd even call them songs. Mm-hmm. But... I, I think, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a Tool fan, and I think that if you're a fan of a band, you're allowed to say whatever you want. And I th- I don't think it's their best work. I think it might be their least strong effort to date. Why? After having listened to it fully. And the reason that I wanted it, because it doesn't sound like there's been any- Evolution from the previous two albums if anything it sounds like it's one thing if you go like ACDC for example if ACDC makes a record that's going to sound like ACDC it's going to be exactly what it is one of the main things that's bugging me about the New Tool record is that it is very there's not a lot of vocals in it comparatively if you go through from Enema all the way through to now the vocals get a little bit less and less prevalent They're not They're there's not as much vocals there's not as much in terms of a song mm-hmm. and I'm a song guy right now the vocals that are there, there's not really any great lift with the vocals. There's not those great moments where Maynard finally takes off and does one of the long screams or one of the, you know, the the, the bits that we know and love him for. It's almost like... And I don't know if it's like a, a, an artistic choice where they're like, no, we're going to make more of a meditative album and it's going to be more chill. But for me, I was like, the thing that I love about Tool is when they finally go and it never really goes. It just kind of keeps... And I've read a few reviews on it where people are like, here's the reason I wanted to bring it up. Bunch of people have reviewed it saying, this is a masterpiece. It's amazing. It's the most, it's an album that takes you on a journey. Every fucking Tool album takes you on a journey. It's Tool. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. And, but the reason that I think people are, it's like if you're in the desert and you're starving and someone hands you a cracker, you're it's going to be the best cracker you ever had, Mm -hmm. Right. And for people who love music, there's no albums being released now that really take you on a journey because there's no space for them in the modern landscape. And after really giving this record a chance and then doing my research and going back and listening to the old stuff, I was like, dude, the old stuff destroy- it crushes the new stuff. There's a few production moments, but like, let's say, for example, uh, uh, oh, why am I blanking on the fucking drummer's name? I've been saying it in my head all week. What's the drummer's name again? Danny Carey. Danny Carey. Sorry, I'm total <laughs> brain fart. <laughs> Danny Carey, Danny Carey is known for incorporating the um eastern percussive instruments that are always triggered. They're not some of them there's a couple of real ones, but he uses a lot of triggers and triggers, the tabla and the bongos and the whatever, right? Mhm. And then incorporating it into He's done the same type of incorporation of those instruments for four albums now. There's no new percussive elements, right? There's no real new sonic elements. There's no moments in the record where Maynard finally takes off or has an interesting set of lyrics where you go, "Ah, that's a really cool way to say that thing that he usually has. It almost sounds like it really there's a part of me that's like a bunch of people that worked with them or their fans said, hey man, it's been 13 years, you got to put something out, you got to put it out. And they kind of been coming and going and jamming over the years, and they were like, all right, well, here are, here's these six pieces that we've got, and then we'll put a few interludes in, and we'll just make a record. But in terms of that sense of urgency that younger bands have, that isn't there for me. Now, it begs the question, once you achieve true greatness, like Queen or Tool, Is it a burden and a curse where you have to continue to create something that is better or at least as good, which is really hard to do over and over and over again? Does that then, is is that a a burden where like you go, okay, maybe they shouldn't put out a new record. They should just, if they know it isn't as good or maybe, but that's the thing that bugs me is because I don't know what they think. Mm -hmm. But like for me, I'm like, dude, Enema crushes this new record and it's 20 years old or older. And it, ha- it just, it has elements. So one of, one of the things that I'd like to tease to discuss a little more next week is, let's say these great bands, you know, Nirvana, for example. Who's to say that if Nirvana had kept making records, they might have started to suck. But because he, because he died at their peak, they will forever be at that level. And now you've got a band like Tool, and you never know. Maybe they're older and tired, or they don't really- And they're just doing the same thing they've always done. They're not really interested in pushing the envelope. Or they don't want to take the risk, like Smashing Pumpkins, for example. They took lots of artistic risks, and they paid the price. They had albums that tanked because they didn't sound like, the, you know, uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Mm-hmm. So, where- You know, when you achieve that level of great- What do you want? Like, I think one of the things that I'd like to talk about next week is- what do we want from our truly great artists? Do we want them to fuck off until you have something truly great or keep making the best that you can and release it because it's better than... Like, it's still an amazing album. Don't get me wrong. It's better than most bands are putting out, probably better than all bands are putting out at the moment in terms of, like, good, good rock metal music because it's fucking Tool. They're one of the best bands in history, but it doesn't hold up to their previous stuff. So what do you want... We have to wrap this episode up now because we're at time, but I want to I want to get into it next week and say pick a couple of the, the greats and be like would you have would it would it have been better if they'd stopped at this album or should they have kept going? And is and are we better off for that?
1: Well, it's interesting too because Tobias Forge, the guy behind Ghost, he recently talked about this and it I believe he wasn't even really asked about making music. He was asked about Star Wars because he's a Star Wars fan. (laughs) And he said that the new movies are good, but they don't hold a candle to the early movies, the original trilogy, because that's the original stuff. And that he related it to making albums and kind of the progression of Ghost. And what he said was the first few that's what locks you in as who you are as an artist, and that's kind. Of, and those are always going to be there. There's going to be a great one maybe later on down the road. But the thing you got to realize is the vast majority of the stuff once you get deep into your career, it's not going to really hold a candle to a lot of that early stuff. And that was kind of the way he was uh, talking about really what you're talking about is you had this early tool stuff and now it's been 13 years since we got an album we finally get fair inoculum and from what i'm hearing from you is it didn't quite reach the standard that you were hoping for on a 13 year wait for this album so that's something definitely we'll dive into in the next episode of rockstar 101 uh shim hopefully he can battle this flu thing we can get to the wonderwall stuff if you want to hit us up on twitter That's Shim. He is at Shim Moore, S-H-I-M-M-O-O-R-E. You can find him over there, or you can find me over on Instagram. It is Brandon underscore goat underscore coats, C-O-A-T-E-S. On that note, class dismissed.